Hello everyone and welcome to the Power of Music Thinking. My name is Christoph Zürn and this is the podcast for people with a musical heart and a wicked job. We're looking for stories, insights and tools from the big world of music to inspire leaders and followers to listen, tune, play and perform in whatever field you're operating. Today we're in New York and we talk with Jim Kalbeck. Jim is a noted author, speaker, musician and instructor in design, customer experience and strategy. He's currently chief evangelist at Mural, the digital online whiteboard designed for remote collaboration and visual problem solving. Jim studied music theory and composition with 12-tone composer Charles Vorinen, and that gives us a kickstart to discuss the differences between fixed instructions lead sheets and free improvisation in music and our daily work. We talk about system thinking in a 12-tone composition where every note is equal and how this connects to design thinking. And we chat about the differences between rhythm, beat and cadence in agile development. And Jim shares with us his CEO playing guitar and singing in a meeting and how this brought in playfulness, opened things up and made it meaningful. Okay, let's get started. Hello, Jim. Welcome to the Power of Music Thinking. Hi, Christoph. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Let us start with the first question I, will always, uh, I always ask my guests, and it goes like this. What's your first memorable sonic experience or concert or performance that had an impact on you? Right. Um, I, I grew up in a fairly musical family. Both of my parents are musicians. They're singers and educators, play piano and organ in the church. So it's hard for me to pinpoint my first sonic experience because music was kind of all around me. But there was, there was one thing that happened to me decades ago. I, I must have been six years old or eight years old or something like that, that uh, I just recall very vividly in my mind. So I don't know if it's my first experience, but it's, it's the most vivid one that I can remember early, early on. Um, I have an older brother and an older sister, and um, it was always just assumed in my family that you would play an instrument in the band, right? When you got to a certain age, you were then eligible to play instruments in the band in elementary school in the United States here where I live. And um, my father, a musician, um, I remember brought home a trumpet for me as just before mm. I was about to uh, go into the next class where I would be able to play in a band. And he taught me how to buzz my lips and what the fingerings were. And I played a scale. I played a C major scale or yeah. concert B flat scale. Um, and uh, it, wa it wasn't astounding, but I just remember the people around me. My father was there. I think my brother and my sister just saying, look, he can do it. And I just felt really empowered, I think, by that, by that mm. moment. Like, hey, I can do this. Oh, cool. That, that's really nice. And it's also like a little uh, family situation. But but you did you pick on the, the the pick up the trumpet? Did you play and rehearse with it? I, I did. Um, I mean, yeah, rehearse. At, you know, as much as you do in in grade school. Um, and then when I I went to high school, you know, American high school, um, I actually switched. I switched over to tuba. Oh wow! Um, was, Even better. Um, for several reasons, but my that was my band director's rec uh, rec uh, recommendation. Uh, for two reasons. One is uh, my brother also had a bass, a bass guitar. Mm. Um, and I was trying to learn how to read bass clef, wow. right? Because I could read treble clef. I was learn, trying to learn how to read bass clef. So the idea of playing tuba made sense so that I could think about bass and bass notes and being the bass. 
But there was also uh, a gap in the band. Uh, I think a lot of band directors around the world have this problem where there's 20 flutes and 12 trumpets, but nobody wants to play tuba and some of these other instruments. So he kind of offloaded me to tuba very early on to be the, the bass section in the, in the band. So it kind of made sense. And then I, I played tuba through high school and a little bit in college too. Wow, what kind of band was it? What did you that, play? I mean, that was um, that would have been like a, a woodwind band, like a like a, a wind ensemble, um, and we would have played, you know, arrangements of classical tunes, but also, you know, John Philip Sousa marching mm. style bands with uh, piccolos and flutes and clarinets and uh, no strings, so it wasn't an orchestra; it was just kind of a wind ensemble. Wow, wow! So I really love the tuba. I love that that low sound. Do you know Lester Bowie's brass fantasy? No, I don't. I don't know it. Uh, really, it's it's only brass. I think yeah. eight people or ten people, and um, it's it's a very soft, mellow, no, not too crazy music, and um, the tuba and, and the trombones that that really yeah create um, a space. Wow, cool. Hey, Jim. First, maybe um, introduce yourself. What do you do for a living? Who are you? Where are you from? So we know uh, your, your musical start or your sonic start, and we come to that later. But uh, who are you? Sure. Uh, so Jim called back. I currently work at Mural, M-U-R-A-L. That's a, a digital whiteboard or online whiteboard solution. So it's designed for remote collaboration so that teams can collaborate digitally at a distance on uh, visual problem solving, brainstorming, prioritization, customer journey mapping. Agile teams used Mural as well too. It really complements um, teleconferencing software like Zoom and, and Teams. Uh, and it really adds a completely new dimension to uh, remote collaboration because you're able to have that whiteboard effect or flip chart effect, but online through your browser. And I've been with that company for coming up on seven years now, um, wow. and I moved into a position called Chief Evangelist, which is a wow. really cool title, but really that kind of puts me out in front, and I'm a, I'm a public face and a voice of the company, and I advocate and evangelize uh, for Mural. Um, prior to that, I worked in a lot of design teams, uh, UX design, strategy, innovation as well, too, in various companies, uh, and I wrote a couple of books. I wrote three books Uh, the last one is on the topic of jobs to be done and also on things like experience mapping. So I also speak and give lectures and, and workshops on, on those topics uh, as well. But um, my background is, is in music, or I have a degree in music, I should say, okay. um, when I went to college. I studied music theory and composition, so I'm not a great performer. I didn't do the, the BFA, as we say, the Bachelor of Fine Arts uh, here in America, but rather uh, theory and composition. And I had the pleasure to study with a fairly famous composer in uh, New York City area, Charles Warrenin, a uh, 12-tone mm -hmm. composer. Um, he passed away um, last year, I believe. But um, yeah, studied um, essentially you know, classical music and classical composition. Wow. That's that's special. I'm I'm hooked on the the, the twelve tone. So, um, meaning if um, listener doesn't know what the, what kind of music this is, so it's um, opposite to all the harmony and and all the natural things in music. Um, uh, Arnold Schoenberg came up with the idea to say, okay, it's some kind of democratic. So we have twelve tones, at least in the West, and now let's use them all in the same way and do this in a certain order. So that's a highly systemic uh, thinking. So this must have, um, did, did this impact you? I, I, think, I think it did. And, you know, in my current, my current roles and, and as a designer as well, too, um, you know, people would always say, what's the, what's the connection there? What's the connection between music composition mm. and, and something like design or design thinking? And I think there is, there is a connection there, that, that kind of systems thinking um, that you mentioned, but also bringing creativity to a blank page, uh, piece of paper or a blank mm. board, right? Um, which you do in design thinking, right? You kind of start with nothing and then th having faith in the design thinking process, you end up with something, right? You come together, you start up, 
diverge, converge, and you end up with something. And composition is a little bit like that as well, too. There are techniques and um, systems that you can use, like 12-tone composition, to fill a blank piece of paper. So at that, at some level, at a kind of a structural and architectural level, but also just the general process, there is a continuity there between composition and design, I think. Wow. Sounds, yeah, for, for me, that's the whole world of um, music, um, music thinking to, to compare these worlds and to see from how in one, in, in one uh, area something is um, yeah, existing and then find, and, and seeing this pattern or whatever it is and then realizing it that there's something else, something comparable. So is, is, is this something that... that triggers you in, in, in that way? Or, or how long ago is it uh, your, uh, your compositional um, work? Yeah, when I studied composition, let's see, I mean, it's a couple decades ago now. I'm giving my age away a little bit. <laughs> But, uh, you know, I think it's like riding a bicycle. You don't, you don't really forget that. And when you study composition at the academic level, um, you, you learn that there are repeatable and consistent ways to approach a blank piece of paper, and there are techniques and methods to be able to structure and then you know, fill out the surface level of, of a piece of music. And Arnold Schoenberg, you mentioned it, um, you know, kind of came up with some systems, but that's been extended as mm -hmm. well, too, with 12-tone, but also with tonal music. There, there are ways to approach composition in, in a way that is methodical, right? And I think it's, it's that methodical approach to creativity. You know, something, mm. you, know, something, you, know what I, you know what I don't like, Christoph, actually, when people say, oh, you know, composers are touched by the muse, right? <laughs> uh, you know, they, they, they have this inspiration from above and then it flows out through their fingers onto the page. There might be some of that, but you know what? It's just hard work. Right, I think, you know, and if you put your mind to it and, you know, follow the, the rules of tonality or follow the rules of 12 tone and you have an idea, which might be from inspiration, but the rest of it is, is, a, is a process that you can actually break down and repeat. Yeah, so that's the inspiration versus the transpiration part. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. There's a little bit of inspiration involved, but a lot of it is, is actually perspiration. It's just sweat and putting your, <laughs> putting your elbow grease into it. Right. But, but that's the, the compositional part where also score, so you talked about the white paper, is, uh, is important, but there are also different ways of scoring. Like if you, I, I know you're a jazz uh, bass player, double bass uh, player, so how does this connect to, let's say, a lead sheet where you just have the chords or the chord progressions and, and, and maybe a little bit of melody, and then we can go on and on and on in jazz uh, without um, yeah, using any time to write something down exactly how it's played. Right. Uh, that, that, that's a great question. And um, after, after I graduated uh, university, I still dabbled in 12-tone co composition, um, but I, I, I became much more interested in jazz. Um, and I've written, I've written some jazz tunes and some jazz heads. Uh, I've done some light jazz arranging, not, not big band or anything that's that complex, but for small groups and, and some jazz arranging. And um, I, I think, I think there, there is, at some level, at some level of abstraction, I think there is uh, similarities of approaching, approaching the architecture of a song as, a, as an expression that I want to make as a composer, approaching that architecture. How, how, how are you going to have a beginning, middle, and end so that is a coherent piece of music? Um, and and that, you, you know, that can end up as a score, a fairly, you know, in 12-tone, they're usually very complex scores with lots mm. of com complex rhythms, or it could end up as a jazz lead sheet, right, which might be a lot simpler. And if you're doing something like a blues, the chords are already given to you And the, the, the form, you know, 12 bars is already kind of given to you. But I still think there is, um, there is a beginning, middle, and end. There's, a, there's an arc there that you still have to, that you still have to create. And, and part of the arc in jazz, uh, by the way, uh, is improvisation, right? Because, of course, jazz is improvised. So when you're thinking about the head of a jazz tune, you're also thinking about how would my band or a band approach this? Let's say it's a quintet. 
and what would the what would the solos be like hmm. uh, so that you know you play the head and everybody solos and then you come back to the head so you're also thinking about that improvised arc as a composer and how your head then becomes the impetus or the inspiration for the soloists as well too right so it's i think i think there's this there's narrative storytelling that you that still goes on whether it's a complex score for 12 tone music or a jazz lead sheet Yeah, absolutely. So you you know that that in music thinking, I'm I'm really looking for for the different fields to to compare. And um, when you write everything down, you need specialists to play it perfectly. You don't want an improviser in a twelve tone piece. This would be yeah, at least not twelve tone music. And on the other hand, when you're improvising, you don't want people that only read from a written score with all the details. So what's your What's your idea about this? Uh, yeah, I, th I think you characterized it uh, quite well, actually. Um, going just a little bit back to Schoenberg, uh, it, it is very democratic, and he basically said every note is equal. Um, in the tonal system of you know, major and minor, um, the notes and the distance between the notes is actually unequal, right? A major scale is a whole step, whole step, half step. Hmm, whole step, right. whole step, whole step, half step. And introducing those half steps... Um, gives you this imbalance that gives rise to harmonic motion, right? You play two, five, one, and then one feels like home. If you make everything equal, which in 12-tone music you do, you don't have those natural home feelings or centers. And it's up to the composer to actually impose on those equal notes some kind of center or some kind of motion moving forward. Mm. And what happens is that very often comes out as rhythm. So um, sound, tones and rhythm are related. That if you have a very equal um, system of tones, like in 12 tones, what happens is rhythm becomes unequal. And I think mm. that's part of the reason why 12-tone music is so challenging for people yeah. is because rhythmically it's kind of all over the place and melodically it's all over the place as well too. But that's a compensation on the composer's behalf for the fact that there's no inherent inequalities in the music and they're trying to create these senses of home that don't exist naturally um, in the system itself. Um, so, you know, thinking, just thinking about that, that approach, um, you absolutely need people to play that the way that you wrote it because that the, you can't just improvise those rhythms because it's going to it's going to mess up what the composer intended in terms of how then the tones come out and what their, mm -hmm. what their meaning is, right? So it really changes the meaning of the piece. If, if, the, if you had somebody improvising off your 12-tone music, it wouldn't be what you intended. And it probably wouldn't work very well as 12-tone mm -hmm. either, right? Now, in jazz, it's, exact, it's, the, it's the exact opposite, right? It's, it, it's the exact opposite that the individual interpretation of your tune is what, what a solo is, right? An improvised solo. Um, so again, when, when I'm thinking about a jazz head, I'm, I have an idea and an inspiration that I want to put out there, but I want to put it out there in a way that I know people will be able to internalize themselves, right? Because it's that internalization that a jazz musician has to do. They have to get inspired by the head and the melody that you set out and then make it their own. And as a composer, I, I, I'm, I give up. It's yours. Take it. And, and you have to, to kind of hand the ball over there. So that, that, that's very different. Those are very, very different worlds. But they each have their place, I think, Christoph, and they each have their meaning and, and, and a place in, the, in this world and how we think about art in general. Absolutely. That's, music is such a, a, a broad field, and we just named two genres, right. classic or 12-tone and, 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 and jazz, and even in jazz there are many variations. There's, um, you know, if you play standard jazz, you, you, you know the tunes, you know the, the chords, and if you play in a big band, it rather also feels a little bit more like an orchestra, because some of the people have to play exactly what is written, otherwise it won't work. And some people, like the soloist or when you're doing four fours, um, can, can have a little bit more, more room to, 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 ex, uh, to ex, uh, explore. Yeah, I was reminded of that um, on the weekend. I actually went to the Jazz at Lincoln Center mm. here in New York, where I live, to see uh, Wynton Marsalis live. Oh, wow. uh, it's his 60th birthday. 
um, or was a couple of weeks ago, and he's celebrating his birthday over the next month or two, and they had a Winton at 60 con- concert. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was playing in the orchestra, which he very often doesn't do, um, which was a treat for me, because I had never seen him live. Hmm. So I got to see him play live, and they were playing music that he composed. Um, and there was elements of improvisation, so there was, you know, a form and then, you know, the band in the middle, usually in the middle of a piece, where the saxophone player would stood up and took a solo over that form. And it was improvised in that moment. But I was struck, you know, to your point um, about types of jazz that can also be highly composed, I was struck by how much of it was actually coordinated mm-hmm. by notes on the page. Yeah. And he, kind of like Duke Ellington, writes very, very deliberate and intentional scores for, for a big band that if you if you improvise some of that stuff, you're not going to have the coordination yeah. and you're not going to have the effect that the composer wanted. Yeah. And I like very much what you say because this is something when we go into business and we, we, we want to say, how do we want to organize? Um, on one On the one hand, we say, okay, with the 21st century, we only need improvisers. And on the other hand, it's like, um, how do you do this and how do you scale this for, for a bigger ensemble? F- funny um, that, that you talk about uh, Winton, or not funny because you're a trumpet player and Winton is the trumpet player. Um, there's also his brother, Brantford, and he's, he has a, a different approach to, 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 to jazz and also to music. He's on the one hand much more into classical um, music. I think he played... Um, um, Yeah, you know, I've heard him once or twice in, a, in an orchestra playing a saxophone, um, a saxophone piece um, with the orchestra. But on the other hand, he's a, a great uh, jazz saxophone player. And he did, I think, in, in the 90s, also experiments with the rap. And uh, so, so, so the, how do you see this? Yeah, um, uh, I think Branford even did. What was the name of his group? Buckshot La Funk, I think. Yeah, right. Some 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 funkier rock uh, stuff, you know, borrowing from pop and hip hop, like like you mentioned. Um, and also with words, with singing. So that's uh, right, that's also exactly. interesting. Yes, because it, it, most of the time, classical music yeah. uh, or classical orchestra music is right. is actually instrumental. Right. I I mean, I, if we just uh, kind of rewind some of the things that we were talking about that reflect my musical background. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very much into jazz, trying to play and write jazz, listen to jazz all the time, but I have a classical music training. And guess what? At home, you know, growing up and with my you know friends and family steeped in pop and rock music, um, you know, um, of, of past four decades or whatever. So um, I, I, I can, I can, sh- shift shapes uh, as needed you know i could go out to a loud loud club you know and listen to rock or disco or funk and and enjoy that and understand it and be able to relate to it even things like heavy metal i've played in heavy metal bands in the past as well Mm. too but at the same time going to see winton marsalis or a jazz club in new york city or going to a, a concert you know classical music concert so when when you you know when you put Branford up as an example, I for me that attitude more reflects my attitude towards music, that you know music is 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 a sonic ex- human it's a sonic human experience that happens over time, um, and there's lots of different ways that humans can perceive sounds over time uh, and lots of different genres. Uh, and even then you get into world music and all mm. kinds of other things. So my, my musical influence tends to be broader, I think, than, say, Winton, who is kind of famous for being a purist. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm not a purist myself, so I, I kind of identified with a lot of the explorations that Branford had been doing and continues to do. Nice. Yeah, great. You know, there are so many opportunities to listen to music or if we do it um, yeah, consciously or unconsciously. When we walk somewhere, we hear totally different, different kinds of uh, music. If you, um, if, you, if you take this from, from 
all these different ways how music uh, uh, are organized or how things are, are, are done in music. Is there something in, in, in your work or in, in the work you've done that you think, oh, actually I, I approach this in a, in a sort of musical way? Or mm -hmm. do, do, do you make sometimes this comparison? I, I, I do, I do. And I think um, that goes right back to your, your improvisation comment that you made. Um, I think traditional paradigms of organizational management tend to be more like an or or orchestra, orchestra composer and then conductor. Um, sometimes people use the word command and control, um, but I think uh, in, in a more complex and ambiguous and uncertain business environment that we need to add some improvisation but too much improv improvisation is also a bad thing because even in jazz there are rules of engagement there are structures there are patterns like trading fours and um, the order of solos typically has a pattern and there's all kinds of patterns that actually hold improvisation together when you take that away then you get free jazz right you know you get you get Ornette Coleman and you know people like that Uh, so and I don't think I don't think in more of a business world or organization world that we want to go there. But I think what we need to do is add some imp the ability to improvise in, in our work and in our interaction with colleagues. And it's really just about that that balance. You know, we talked about the big band being fairly coordinated and orchestrated, but there are still moments of improvisation in there. Yeah. Right. Even I'll take I'll take even that <laughs> that little bit. Right. But it could also be more like um, you know work. Uh, or the you know the way that we work could be more like a, a jazz quartet where there's a lot of interaction and a lot of a lot of working. So I do think about that, and I I think when when I when I collaborate with others, I think I bring that with me that I'm ready to jam. I mean, there's no yeah. there, it's a good it's a good word, but I'm ready to jam. And if if the group isn't there, if they have a different mental model of what what how we're supposed to react, that can actually be odd. Like what, 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 what are these weird ideas coming out of Jim's mouth and why is he, why does he keep going against what we're saying? It's like, I'm not going against it. I'm just throwing my own ideas in. Um, but I do think because of that improvisation sensibility that I have, when I collaborate with people, I want to jam. I want to jam with them. But what's your definition of jam? So, um, because and the, these are the words where some people say, okay, I know what it is. What, what, what's your definition of jamming? Yeah, I, th I, th I, think, I think improvisation, I think creativity uh, underlies uh, jamming and, and imagination as well, too. So you might, um, I, I think there, again, like I said, I think there are structures and, and rules of engagement. But for me, a jam is going into a situation and you don't know what's going to come out. Yeah. You're going to embrace what happens in the moment um, and, and, and kind of take that as fact in that moment. And it's fact because you did it or you said it. If the drummer plays something or somebody else in the band plays something, it happened. It's a fact. Okay, let me. what, what happens if I make that my fact now? Yeah. How does that affect what I'm going to be um, um, now responding with, right? So it, it's, it's about this creative interaction that you have of of in the moment, it's really in the moment. I think that's the thing. It's not, it's not premeditated and planned out and orchestrated in advance, uh, and there's no time for reflection. It happens, and that's, that's what happens in the moment, right? Oh, cool, nice, sounds good. Is there also jamming with classical musicians? Can they also jam, uh, do the, or would they jam in a different way? I think, I think less so. There, there, are, there are pockets of, of chance music and aleatory music hmm. in classical traditions, but, um, you know, a piece of Mozart, certainly not a piece of Schoenberg, that doesn't work if people are interpreting the notes between uh -huh. the beginning and the end. If you're just kind of making things up, it's, it's not going to be this, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's not going to be the same thing. So I think, I, I, I don't think there's a lot of improvisation in, in, uh, in classical music. There, there are instances of it, though, but that's not the, that's not the centerpiece, right? In jazz, hmm. the, the thing about jazz is that's the centerpiece, yeah. right? right. It's, we'll, we'll play the head, and the head is 30 seconds long, and then, and then jam for 10 minutes on the tune. Oh, yeah, and by the way, the head comes back, right? It's not about the composition. It's about everybody's interpretation of that composition. So what right. you end up having in jazz 
is not one long song. You almost get like a song inside of a song because every solo is that soloist interpretation of the song. So you get, okay, here's my version of the song. And then you, you take a solo, Christoph. That's your version of the song, right? <laughs> and then drummer does fours. That's, that's his version of the song or her version of the song, right? So you, you almost get all the, these like expressive versions of the song in, in jazz, right? Yeah, right. It triggers me that you say about the solo. So, so if people don't don't know what uh, don't know jazz enough, you know, it's always iteration. So that's very much into our daily work as service designers, design thinkers. That's the iteration, and the iteration is the solo. And if you're ready with the solo, someone else is iterating, and the rest is supporting. So I like that. Um, I like that very much. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, jazz is essentially theme and variations. It is violently repetitive, yeah. and then, as you know, there's a, you know a set of standards, and jazz musicians have played those standards hundreds and hundreds of times, each of which has their own repetitive structure as well, mm. too. So jazz is under underneath. It's underneath the hood. When you lift up the hood and look at the engine, jazz is very very repetitive. But I think it's that repetitiveness that gives the freedom for expression on top of it. So the yeah. structure is very predictable. But the surface is very un unpredictable. There's there, there's also um, uh, another thing um, you mentioned before the two five one and to people that don't understand music or jazz, it's some kind of cadence. So uh, and and what's a cadence? Um, you, you want to explain it? A, a, a cadence is um, a series of harmonies. So a harmony being more than one tone at a time th that um, has a certain direction or gravity. Uh, and typically we think about the root of a chord or a, a tonal center, like if you're playing in C major, then C would be the root. If you play a chord, there are certain chords within, within that harmonic system that want to go to that chord. And there are certain chords that want to go to that chord as yeah. well too. So two, five, one, it, it provides this sense of direction. It's, it's natural, you, and you mentioned this kind of natural sense of direction, right? So cadence is a systematic um, a pattern of chords that fit together that have a particular motion or direction to them. Yeah, you already hear something where it's going to. Uh, and you mentioned also blues. So um, blues has these three steps. Actually, these, the, these are the basic uh, cadence on the, the one, four, and the five. So you hear the... Uh, uh, so you, you, you really know from, okay, now it's going there. Right. And, and th that's interesting when, when, when I worked in, in agile organizations and we, we had these two-week sprints with all yeah. the refuse, um, some, some, some people talked about, oh, that's our beat, that's right. our, our, our beat. But I think it's much more than a beat, it's much more a cadence. Right. Because something like the one, the tonic, and, and then a, a, little, a little bit of tension in between, that's normal, that's nice, that's why we have music, we love tension. But at the certain right. moment, oof, you, you're, you're coming back. So that's, right. for, for me also, yeah, something to, to, to understand. And sometimes you place a different kind of music, so you have more, um, yeah, uh, you, you have more things that sound maybe not in the way that you would like this. And it is not necessarily bad, but it's necessarily more challenging. Right, yeah, I think Agile, Agile is a great metaphor, I think, or analogy, um, because that's also very repetitive, right? You have yeah. this notion of a sprint where you break down something larger into these small units and then you repeat them and they each have their own arc. Yeah. Uh, and I think it, it is it is more like a, it is like a cadence, but I think there's rhythm in there as well too. Every two weeks, uh, I mean, it's going to start with a grooming session. Yes. It's going to end with a um, a demo and then a retrospective, right? So you do have these rhythmic elements in agile as well too. And that's what that's effectively what agile does is it provides the rules of engagement for a team to collaborate so that you're not improvising those rules at the same time. Yeah. Right. You don't have to worry about the mechanics of how and when you're going to interact so that you can focus on the surface, the stuff that fills in those, that scaffolding and that framework. And so much of work in general, just collaborating at work at the office in a large organization or whether you work for an educational institution or the government, um, you're improvising both at the same time. I'm improvising how I'm going to meet and the, the content of the meeting as well, too. And I think that's where things go really bad. And that's why people are 
sick of meetings. Meetings have a really bad reputation right now. And of course, when you add Zoom to that, then you get Zoom fatigue. I think Zoom fatigue is we're trying to just make things up too much at work. And Mm. and that's the analogy that I like to give um, between jazz and work is Come up, come up with a, come up with the rules of engagement and the methods and the structure, um, so that you're not you're not debating about that. You're actually f- talking about the stuff that matters, the content, yes. the surface layer. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's something we can we, we, we can mention. Um, jazz musicians they play the music. It's not about the like in twelve tone, <laughs> the, the 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 series or or anything else. It, it, it's about the music. But later, when you realize what's under the hood, right. that these are the, the these structures that, right. that that brought us there. Right. That's yeah. Absolutely. Nice. Absolutely. Yeah. Jazz is highly structured. Contrary to popular belief. Jazz is not just made up. Um, jazz musicians are not just playing what, what they want. They're actually they're actually following some very well established. Uh, I call them rules of engagement, right? Mm. But it's the rules of engagement that allow them to improvise. If you didn't have that, it it would be free jazz, right? Yeah. And and a lot of our a lot of our work and our interaction, you know, with colleagues in the organizations that we work for, is more like free jazz. Like we yeah. show up to a meeting and it's like a free jazz jam session. Yeah. And you're just waiting. It's just cacophonous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, it, and, you, and you're not productive that way. Y- yes. Um, I have to mention that, that I like free chairs a lot. Oh, so do I. And, and, so do and, I. And, but the funny thing is, um, but I don't like also uh, kinds of free chairs. <laughs> right. So because um, in, in the music thinking framework, I'm using something like a score. And score is for me something, okay, it would be a musical score where everything is written, but also a lead sheet. But there's also a score in free jazz. Okay, what the hell is this? Yeah, it's the, it's the idea that we want to make music together and we right. want to, to listen to each other and really make something special out of it and not just rehearse or everybody's playing. Right. So that's yeah. Uh, no, no. Good, good free. I, li- I like good free jazz as well too. It's just really hard to do. Yeah. Uh, and there's there's a burden. The musicians in free jazz take on a lot of burden because not only are they creating the surface and the stuff that we hear, they're also creating the structure at the same time. By by by, they have this hyper listening that they do. They're able to listen a lot more. And in you know in our workday and our organizations that that we work in. Um, It doesn't work unless you have, unless everybody um, is at that level, unless they have that ability to do that. Yeah. And it's not necessary either. I think there are structures that we can bring in under the hood, structures that we can bring in to organize our collaboration in a way that is, you know, below the waterline, but still allows for 100% expressivity and creativity and improvisation on top of mm. it. I think the big learning here is that when you play improvised music or jazz, um, it also needs a lot of training, yes. and, and you, you you have to 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 stay in shape. And if you don't do this, then you can't improvise. And that's the funny thing is when we talk about improvisation in business, we think okay, if, either if we're lazy or we come into some kind of repair mode where our score doesn't work, now let's fix it. And that's not improvisation. That's just trying to quick fix something that is maybe, yeah, not 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 good enough. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And in addition to that, that's a, that's a great point. Um, good free jazz. Um, the musicians very oft, often know each other. That they they yeah. they have a, a personal and a human connection with 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 those musicians, and they've they've rehearsed not only individually but also together, right? Yeah. So so they they've practiced how they're going to improvise together as well too oh, that's a which is point. also something that i think we need more of in our organizations and when we collaborate connecting with the other humans around us that's a good point jim because because i think um if you would have a team and that is starting with improvisation huh? let's say free, free improvisa- improvisation, they can, if they work together, they know each other so well that it's seamless how they, how they create, how they work. That's a very, very nice point. Absolutely. Yeah, that, I mean, that's why in my own work and w- when I used to lead teams here at Miro, I, I, I made a lot of space and I spent a lot of time trying to connect with my colleagues on, on different levels. Um, 
you know, not necessarily being friendly or chummy with them, but they're work colleagues and they're other human beings and they bring themselves to work and they bring their humanity to work. And I can at least try to understand that and empathize with that because, and, and doing that in an ongoing way actually builds up that, that kind of practice on how we're going to collaborate so that when we have something important that we want to work on, we, we can actually have that more sophisticated level of improvisation because we've connected. Hmm. You know, I always say, you know, in, in music, we, we, we have instruments. We talked about the trumpet, the tuba, the double bass already. And I call in business tools like the customer journey framework or persona poster or mural an instrument. And this means we have to learn that instrument. So what's, what's your take on this? How, 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 um, how does this resonate with the, with, with the way how you um, build a mural and how you um, yeah, evangelize <laughs> this to, to other people, how they can use this? Yeah, I think, I think tools of our work world were assumed, uh, not explicitly recognized, And, and to some degree, we were kind of just sleepwalking through our collaboration in, in the offices. And management figured out that the, often, the office itself was a productivity tool. Hmm. And we relied on the office to structure those, those, those interactions. I sat over there and I worked by myself. And then I got up and we collaborated in that meeting room. And then we bumped into each other at the water cooler. Um, and we were just kind of sleepwalking through them. We were going through the motions of that. And... What the pandemic did was make us very aware of the fact that when you remove that, we didn't, we've not really thought about how we collaborate with each other. And then we had a different set of instruments that we had to collaborate during the pandemic, right? And people figured it out, right? But then they also learned like, oh wait, we don't, we don't all have to be in the same place at this, we can still collaborate. So I think, I think the, the pandemic has changed the, the set of instruments that we have at our disposal And, but also, more than that, I think, is the intentionality with which we use those. And we're not just sleepwalking through collaboration anymore. That every time we collaborate, we're a lot more aware about the tools and the other person's situation. And, and the, there's a lot more about collaboration that is deliberate. So I think post-pandemic, whatever that means and whenever that, <laughs> whenever that happens, post-pandemic, I think there will be less sleepwalking through our days in terms of collaborating with others and a lot more intentionality about the rules of engagement and things and things like that and i hope for the better yeah and 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 to go even further um if we if we take mural for example um it's an instrument or a tool whatever you want to call it and you can use this tool but the most interesting thing is you play this instrument together So yeah. it, and so it's and it's not an orchestra or a band. These are the members of this, but it's one instrument where all people are working working together. So that's um, yeah, in, in, uh, interesting from what we can learn from from tools like this. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. And and mural is fundamentally built for collaboration. Yes, you can use it by yourself. But the value you get from mural goes exponentially higher when when you do it with with other people, with two or more people. And I was trying to think, Christoph, what would be the analogy there in music? Is that like people standing around some drums and playing on drums, or, or multiple people on the piano together? I'm not quite sure what that would be. <laughs> I, I I had the same thought. I thought about um, the organ where you in former times need people who really had to to push air play into the it. Paddles, yeah, right. Oh, oh yeah, I think right, yeah. is it the Nickelodeon? That's a piano that's played from both sides. Is it? Is it? Okay, it might be. Yeah, I you're thought. Right. I'm 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 not sure. Or. Um, Yeah, and and it's maybe something that we find much more in digital uh, things. So if we right, go yeah. to to digital to to productions, and right. we go into the studio, and then we see, um, yeah, then maybe the studio mm -hmm. and, and and the big mixer is is, is the big tool, yeah. and then you see very quickly that you need different roles or different positions that a musician has to take. Right. Uh, one is playing a certain instrument, let's say a guitar or a bass. Someone else is singing. Some they're um, they're 
moments were all together get recorded but now it's just we do a lot of mono recording first the drum beat then the chords then the song uh, the the singer and then we change the chords again so it's maybe maybe this would be maybe, an, yeah. an, uh, a comparable instrument I, i was also thinking of a choir hmm. uh, i guess that's individual instruments oh, yeah. your voice you're playing your voice but there's something very fundamental about the human voice it's part of our body right it's not an external instrument and then when you get a choir together right it's the it's the sound of all those voices together that that uh is kind of the instrument the choir becomes the instrument that that would be i think for me kind of an analogy for mural it's it's like a choir your team is the choir singing together yeah wow good nice and uh, nice <laughs> nice thought <laughs> did it was Is music in some way an inspiration for for from Europe? Because um, I want to refer to an earlier podcast together with uh, Wolfgang Stark, and we had the idea of score and scoring organizations. So the the, the back idea was, you ask an organization how you organized, and and you let people just sketch this, and then later you let uh, musicians interpret this this score. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like a graphical uh, a graphical score from the 60s um, uh, uh, El Brown um, and, and and the interesting th thing or the, the thought was if we do this nowadays could um, a digital platform like Mural be a score yeah. where people somewhere else in, in the world or, or via a big screen they are playing that score and the score is changing slightly by people who want to change the music for example yeah. so, oh, this would sound as an um, extremely interesting uh, um, experiment Did, yeah. is this a thinking that you're also on? To some degree, not not directly uh, in that manner that you just described, but um, our CEO and founder of Mural, um, who, who kind of owns the vision of Mural and has so for 10 years, we've been around for 10 years, um, likes to make an analogy with sheet music. Hmm. Um, All right. Kind of what I, kind of what I was just saying before that... Um, Uh, just like when you want a group of people to, to play together, even if it's improvisation and they have some sheet music, then then they can play together. And while Mural is a white blank, it's a blank canvas, we also include methods and templates with it, right? Yeah. So if you were running a customer journey mapping exercise or a design sprint or any of the agile rituals that we mentioned as well, too, you can go to our template library and pull up a template so that you have essentially the sheet music for the agile rituals that you need and then you can you can um you can play the play that 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 instrument together right and and that analogy with sheet music is actually something that our ceo talks about explicitly so that was in his thinking even you know as they were developing mural this idea yeah it's a blank canvas but you need the sheet music on top of that Mm. Um, to be able, otherwise it's free jazz. If you don't have the, then, then it's just a blank canvas and every, everything is improvised, right? Mm. So it's mm. really those templates and those methods that come with Mural that provide that structure under the hood to allow uh, teams to collaborate better. So the templates are the patterns? I think so, yeah. Or the instruments. That's, in, that's interesting in how, what kind of uh, templates there yeah, are. Yeah, I, I think the canvas is the platform, but, but then the, the, the templates, you can almost think about those as the different yeah. instruments. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and your CEO, um, th does he have uh, any background in music? Or why uh, not did he formally, come up with but he, play, he plays guitar. Um, okay, cool. And, and he's not afraid to sing. So he's, he's in, in some all-hands meetings, he's... He, sung a line or two or oh, something. Really? Oh, nice. No, yeah, he's not not very good singer. I'm sorry, Mariano, but um, oh, that, that, that doesn't sing. matter. You know, it if, doesn't if, matter. It, yeah. it absolutely doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> There's a song. It's a, it's a German one, so um, um, I can't sing, but I do it loud. So yeah. you know, at least you can sing very hard. So. <laughs> but the, you know, the effect of that though is is actually, it's actually, uh, it's it's meaningful. You know, the fact that. Yeah. Uh, you know, a CEO of a company will just sing in front of the whole company. Um, it, it brings in a it bring, brings in a playfulness, huh. right? And it opens it opens things up too. And I think that's you know, some, there's something about music that engages the mind in in kind of a playful, imaginative way, right? 
course, Aaron Copland, the famous American composer, he wrote a book about music and the imagination. I think that's the title of it. Hmm. It's something like that, that you can't understand music if you don't have an imaginative mind. Yeah, right. right. Um, and I think, I think there's something about playfulness that, that really opens up imagination, like music does, but also like um, some of these techniques and, and methods uh, that I mentioned that explicitly bring people together so that they can play. And mm. when I say play, I don't mean just have fun and goof off. I mean explore and discover together, right? Because that's really what, what innovation is ultimately about. Like you're not going to get to an innovative place if you're just doing what you've always done. Yep. You have to have this uh, playful, imaginative mindset to be able to explore something new, right? Absolutely. Uh, and I think music, music is playful, I think, and imaginative, yeah, I, I think that's that, that's so important that that, that play idea, and uh, and and I, I, I really like um, the, your CEO singing in a in a in a in a meeting. So the, this the, this encourages everyone also right. to to stand up, speak up, or maybe sing Agreed. up or play up. Agree. And yeah, that, that's um, that's very nice. So yeah, Jim, thank you very much. It's quite um, yeah, we we quite had. Um, Uh, a story from 12 tone to jazz and even free jazz <laughs> and also in in um, how, how do you use this in your daily business what's next for a mural is there something a next step or something that you're going to um, we're we're going to continue um, you know on our mission to to level up uh, imagination workers as we call them people using their imagination uh, on the job um, digitally, whether they're together or remote. Um, so, so our mission uh, hasn't changed at all. If anything, the pandemic accelerated that. Um, and uh, we, have, uh, we have a lot of things uh, that we want to go after in front of us. So yeah, you can look out for bigger and better things from, from Mural as, as we seize, seize that opportunity that, that we have in, in front of us. Um, and we, we will continue to think and talk about things like play and imagination um, because I think these these are important parts of collaboration that you can't overlook nice Jim thank you very much it was a pleasure to talk about music and about online platforms <laughs> and uh, th thank you very much for, for the talk and yeah wish you all the best and I hope that we can jam together in the very near future Yeah, you know, I kind of feel like we can continue for another couple hours here. It feels like we just got started, but I really appreciate you having me on, Christoph. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate this because listening is one of the top leadership skills and I feel honored about this. It is my mission to find, create and share inspirations for meaningful collaboration based on music analogies. If you want to support this, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a rating or write a review on iTunes or Spotify. And more inspirations can be found on musicthinking.com. We have a blog and you can download the Music Thinking Framework. And finally, I would love to hear your feedback. And if you need help with a business challenge, please reach out to me via email podcast at musicthinking.com. <laughs>